My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of SME VC, I sat down with Alfonso de los Rios, also known as Poncho, who is the co-founder and CEO of Nowports, the Mexican unicorn developer of a digital freight forwarder platform. Nowports has raised $242.6 million from some of the world's most reputable investors, including, but not limited to, Y Combinator, SoftBank, Tiger Global, Tencent, and Monashis. Alfonso is also a Teal Fellow. In this episode of Sumia VC, we discussed how Alfonso stays grounded having a billion dollar company and hundreds of employees at only 24 years old, how Alfonso raised $242.6 million, and how being in Y Combinator affected the trajectory of Napports, and much, much more. We filmed the Sumia VC interview on Alfonso's 24th birthday, so a big happy birthday to him, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Sumia VC. Okay, Pancho, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Nowports? Thank you, for sure, uh, Trip, and thanks for inviting me. I started my career life, to call it on that way, just as a web developer. I love programming since I was super young. I was 10 years old when I remember I started coding directly from YouTube videos, etc. After that, I was a software developer uh, for a startup based in the Bay Area. And I met Max, which is my other co-founder at Nowports, and then we, we moved to Nowports, right? Basically, Nowports is the operating system for supply chains in Latin America. And yeah, that, that, was, a five years, that was five years ago, so now it feels like a, like a while ago on the, on the career life. Amazing. So I think everyone has heard of Nowports, but because logistics is kind of hard to understand, I really want to ask this question to understand what it really means. So if we were filming an old-fashioned commercial for Nowports, where we showed what international logistics was like before you guys in black and white, highlighting all the problems, totally. and then we switched to color and got the chance to highlight all the innovations that Nowports has made, what would be those problems that existed prior? And what I, I, would say? I, I really love the way you, you frame the question, because I think... In order to understand Nowports, we first really need to understand how the world uh, works in terms of logistics as of today, right? So usually when a company wants to move a container from point A to B, right? Imagine importing, I don't know, some bottles from China to Mexico. They need to go to a traditional logistics player, not Nowports, right? And that traditional logistics player will help them coordinating all the importing and exporting process, right? So including customs, last mile delivery, et cetera. The challenge with that is that they've been operating on the same way for the last 70 years, okay? And that means that for every container that you're moving, you, you need to send more than 80 emails per transaction, right? So there's no platform where you can see where's your container. There's no way you can know how much it's going to cost, et cetera, other than just analyzing the emails, right? So that's the first pain. And the logistics teams usually spend more than 15 hours per week on manual reports, right? So filling Excels, uh, and most of the time, they can have a, a, a never there just because of the manual input they are putting, right? So the industry has been working on that same way for the last uh, eight, 70 years. And what we decided to do at Nowports is that we wanted to become the source of, of truth for every company that was importing or exporting any type of materials in Latin America, right? So we started on that way. Today, we have offices on nine different cultures in the region. And basically, we become your source of truth on that. Additional to that trip, we don't only digitize the importing and exporting process, but actually we provide you uh, financing based on the cargo that you're moving directly to our platform, right? So instead of going to traditional banks, we can be your financial uh, supporter or player. 
and uh, give you a 10x better experience than traditional banks. And, and can you tell us the initial inspiration behind developing a digital freight forwarder? Was it it, was it a family connection? Where, why, why were you so interested in logistics at such an early age? For, for sure. Um, I never thought I was going to work at logistics, to be honest. I, my family had a traditional logistics business for more than 20 years. And I think that's uh, the reason I, I kind of fell in love with the industry. But I never thought I was going to like uh, spend my, my career there, right? But at some point when I met Max, which is my co-founder, like he also worked in a traditional logistics company, right? So we both were like software developers and we both knew about the logistics industry. And for me, like Trip, to be honest, like logistics, it's not a, an amazing industry or a, an entertaining industry, but it's actually like, it has a lot of impact around us, right? 90% uh, of what you see around you were, uh, was once on a shipping container. And actually like the, major economic growth we have seen on emerging economies so, uh, such as China uh, 30 years ago, like it was mainly impulsed through uh, foreign trade, right? Which is basically importing and exporting goods. And so what impact has Nowports had on the freight transportation industry, especially in Latin America since the, the, the inception? Oh uh, yeah, well, the, I, I think the achievement where we feel the proudest, to be honest, is that right now we are serving more than 5,000 uh, companies to import and export their, their containers directly to our platform without that uncertainty that they usually had with traditional players, right? Additional to that, we have financed a little bit more than $200 million for importers and exporters so they can buy more products. And instead of going to traditional players, they can do everything through our platform. So it's not a matter of like, moving the cargo or actual like financing, but enabling them to grow through digitization and just new tools that are in the market, right? Because as of today, Nowports is the only digital freight provider in Latin America. So that means that we are the only player that can tell them on real time, how much it's going to cost, where is the container and actually like which additional services we recommend them to acquire, like financing, insurance, et cetera. So you guys have dominated Latin America and now you're expanding to Asia, the United States and Europe. Can you tell the audience more about Nowport's expansion to these other regions? For sure. Uh, our first step was to conquer Latin America, right? And look, Trip, to be honest, there's a lot of work to do there still. Like it's a massive market, more than $1.2 trillion market in the logistics industry in Latin America. So we definitely have a lot of work to do. Uh, right now we operate on nine different countries, including major economies like Mexico, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Uruguay. We've recently expanded into Spain and the U.S., and the main reason of that is that we're not offering this uh, product to the U.S.-based companies, right? But we are actually helping those companies in emerging regions like Latin America, North of Africa, et cetera, to connect with this more developed market like, um, like the U.S., which Miami is a big port, and then you have Laredo on the ground freight, et cetera. So that's the, the market that we're targeting, connecting emerging economies with developed markets such as Spain and the U.S. And so now Ports is the first unicorn from Monterey. What does this mean for you and the city that you grew up in? And then a follow-up question. Have you ever had someone from high school send you a WhatsApp message who maybe wasn't too nice to you back in high school, but now wants to be your friend? How has that been? Yeah, uh, it's crazy because I don't spend too much time on Monterey, but today I'm here, right? So, so it's good uh, that you're asking it at this time. Um, I mean, Monterey, even though like Nowports is the first unicorn, the, the bar is too high in terms of companies, right? You have FEMSA, which is the owner of Coca-Cola in Latin America. Then you have Cemex, which is the biggest 
uh, cement company in, in the world. Um, so I think the bar is high, right? Uh, mostly on the traditional side. When, when everything happened about Nowports on the unicorn, etc., I think it was a really good moment to uh, show the legacy industry or the legacy companies that there was a new generation coming up, right? In terms of startups. And not only Nowports, there's a lot of like maybe small startups or early stage that are just getting started, but actually like doing a really amazing work. So I think it was a good uh, proof of concept on what we wanted to achieve as a company. I also thought that like in, in terms of the high school part, I, I've always tried to like keep a small circle of friends and relationships and girlfriend, you know, like everything super close to me, N not even because of Nowports, but I think it's the way I work. So all the, I have, I think right now my Instagram is quite popular, my Twitter too, et cetera. But, but it's mostly like uh, the same for me in terms of personal relationships, right? So there's a lot of things happening on social media that I, that I do, but at, at the end of the day, my real relationship circle, it's still the same, right? So I haven't seen that change uh, too much on, on that side other than social media, right? I love it. I love it. And so you have a company worth more than a billion dollars. You have hundreds of people that have jobs at EAT, that have families just because of you. How does that feel? And then what do you do on a daily basis to stay grounded, focused, and motivated to keep going? Totally. Um, well, I think our biggest achievement other than the product and only like uh, Unicorn, et cetera, is the team that we have built, right? We need to analyze that. When we started, I was 19 years old and my co-founder was around 27 years old, right? So we were super young uh, in the market on a traditional industry. So we decided to build, like, it didn't matter what was our product, how we are, were performing, and what was our role, but we wanted to have the best performing team in Latin America, right? And not only the best performing team, but actually with the best culture uh, that we could build. And we decided um, one of our first hires was the head of culture, right? So that was super important for us to build. And I think like the way Nowports has worked as of today is that it's not only one guy taking the decisions or the co-founders, but actually a really good executive team since they won, just navigating during the storms that we have seen, right? Like the COVID, uh, one time when we, when we went out of cash flow and we were up, uh, about to go bankrupt, right? So we had different like wars to call in on that, on that way. And I think the executive team really helped us on that. So the way I tried to, to, keep grounded and, and just like uh, really close to the people that, that it's working on a daily basis from outwards. It's to be honest, like being useful uh, because at some point, like when the company scales, like you have a question as a CEO, like what's my role? What should I be doing? Like, uh, you know, like, because basically now there's a role for everyone, but you need to find how to be useful. And that a lot of time is maybe like enabling connections, helping them with one specific topic, et cetera. And then and at the same point, being present in the offices, right? I think there's no other replacement of being present. And I know there's a discussion between remote, in-person, et cetera. We are remote, but at the same point, we like to go one day per week and spend some time working together across different teams, et cetera. And so you've raised more than $240 million over a number of rounds from some of the best investors on earth how did you do that? And then I'd also like you to say how old you are, just for some of the people who might be listening and envisioning someone who's like 50 or 60. Totally. No, not at all. I'm 24 as of today, uh, 19 when we started Nowports. And it's crazy. Like, I think we, 
when when we talk about the investors that have invested on outwards, I think we really have a good cap table in terms of globalization, right? Because we wanted to conquer an industry that is around every single thing that we see around ourselves, right? Like the computer, the phone that you have on your hand, et cetera. Like everything was on a shipping container. So it was really easy to sell the vision or the market, but we needed to prove how we were the right team to do it, right? And that was like the first, um, the first proofs that we have was the team, our go-to-market, how we got our first clients, et cetera. And it started a snowball effect of just like getting and, and getting more ambassadors to our brand, including on the investor side, right? So there are some angel investors like John Lewy, Michael Sitzmore, et cetera, that helped us since they won, uh, no matter our age, to, to just like help us on how to sell, how to envision the company, et cetera. And yeah, like uh, that, that was uh, the trip. I, I remember one of the of the biggest negotiations that we did was possibly with Tencent. Tencent decided to invest in Outwards. It's the, the enormous uh, financial company based in China. And, you know, like you could think that China is so different in terms of market, in terms of like the way the startups work, et cetera. But logistics, it's one the same, right? Like it basically enables economic growth. So the discussion was really easy to take on. And again, everything went back on why you are the right team to, to conquer that market. Amazing. And I think one of the the earliest components of your funding history might be one of the most interesting. You were in Y Combinator. Could you tell us about your experience in Y Combinator and how did that affect the trajectory of Nowports? Yeah, I think our, uh, you know, I, I dropped out of college and Max uh, did college on Uruguay, right? So when we was, when we were started Nowports, we didn't have a specific credential to, to show up, right? Like there was no no proof that we were going to build something amazing or something big. And we applied to Y Combinator. And one of the amazing things about YC is that they don't look into your credentials, but actually what you've been doing with your startup the last four to six months, right? I do think at some point, like they analyze credentials, et cetera, but it's not their main factor, right? Um, so once we got accepted into YC, I think that was the beginning of the snowball effect, right? Because that opens the door with other angel investors that opened the doors to talk with other competitors, right? With other uh, companies, because basically like a lot of people it's interested on the startups that are emerging from YC. So I would say like that was one of the best things. And the, I mean, the, the best thing above all was the connections and the mentors that we got access to, right? Uh, just when you're starting, you have a lot of questions about go to market, profitability, uh, how to hire the right executives, et cetera. And I think YC has a perfect person for each of those topics, right? Like specialists uh, on how to, to make them work. Uh, one of the, of the mentors that really helped us was Adora Cheung, um, which is an amazing partner at YC. Well, she's not longer at YC, but uh, she, she really helped us uh, on how to lead our sales effort, how to lead our compensation plans, et cetera. You know, like really specific topics that usually you cannot find on a blog. And so you were building now ports during COVID-19, during the pandemic, things were different. How did the pandemic affect the trajectory of now ports? How did you guys take advantage of that and, and build during the storm? Yeah. When, when the pandemic started, we were around 60 persons at the company just based in Monterey, right? So we were pretty new to the market. And as a company, we didn't have enough systems, platforms, technology in order to manage scale, scalability and actually remote work, right? Because at that time, everyone went to the office. We all spend our time at the office building, et cetera. So, you know, like I think the first three or four months of the pandemic were really hard. 
in terms of the market because most of our customers decided to stop their production lines. So that means that they were not importing anymore. And we basically went to zero revenue for a couple of weeks, but it was definitely like three or four months that were really, really hard. But I cannot remember of a joyful time other than that, right? It was crazy. Like everyone was just finding how we could like move the company and actually like uh, keep progressing, keep advancing, etc. And we scaled during the pandemic from 60 to 750 employees, right? Uh, from just one city to more than nine countries on 11 different cities, right? So it was a really good scale up moment and actually make us really, really resilient. So I would say like, also on the market side, you know, like, I don't know if you remember, Trip, but there was a logistics boom during the pandemic. So everyone was moving containers. There was an over demand. Then you had the Suez Canal, uh, et cetera, which to be honest for us was good. So I don't know. I just think like the pandemic was one of the best things that happened to us, even with the challenges that it included, right? On the personal side, because obviously we, a lot of our team members and me included, we lost close ones, we lost a lot of friends, et cetera. But I think we learned a lot during the process on how to be more resilient as a company, but also as leaders, right? So you've achieved the benchmark that almost every founder goes to bed dreaming about every single day, and that's becoming a unicorn. When did you find out that Nowports became a unicorn? How did it change your life? How did it make you yeah. feel? And how did it not? Yeah, uh, I, I would be really transparent here. like. You know, like I always thought about becoming a unicorn. So I will not lie saying like, oh, I didn't care about those. To be honest, I, I did care. But once it happened, it was so different than what I could imagine, right? So first of all, you see it on the news one day, but it was actually negotiated like four to five months before, right? So there's a lot of due diligence. There's a lot of like just legal process, et cetera, that you're doing. So that process of like four to five months, it was, I think, four months, but it actually like you process everything, right? Like you process the euphoria, you process the worry, the imposter syndrome, et cetera. So at some point when it's in the media, it's not that you no longer care, but it's not as relevant as it was when, when you got uh, notified about that, right? And the other thing is like, when you're talking with the investor that it's investing at $1.1 billion, like they are not as excited, right? So it's just like, okay, I will invest, $150 million at 1.1 billion. And inside yourself, you're shouting and you're super happy, but I, I don't know, it's a weird, weird thing. And I would say this, the biggest shock moment of becoming a unicorn was learning that it's still day one, right? So it doesn't matter if your company is in every newspaper, on every media coverage, et cetera, you actually like still need to be working on the processes that you're lacking of on the retention on the revenue etc right so i would say that's possibly one of the biggest challenges um as a ceo or as founders that you face to understand that to be honest like being on the media it's most of the time a vanity metric which i love i love being in the media i love now it's being like covered etc but it will not define the success of our company for the next 15 to 20 years right Wow. And you connected it to the fundraising component. You guys raised like three rounds in 12 months, just so much money. Yeah. So could you tell us about that experience? And then how did the experience of fundraising change from those initial rounds where yeah. you're begging for money to those later rounds where people are begging to give you money? Yeah. I mean, 
it all goes back to creating the company brand, right? Like we not only wanted to be a company that had a good vision, but that actually had a good track record in terms of execution, right? So we were really focused in day one on generating results on every market, on every product that we were launching, et cetera, and making them like sustainable, right? So with positive unit economics, with a good leadership team in charge, et cetera. So when we just raised our first round, we were not the sexy at the blog or at the block on YC, right? So uh, at YC, we were not the hottest company. We were not on the list of the most hot, the hottest companies of the batch, et cetera. But I think we focus a lot on creating a small circle of investors that really trusted our vision, right? So that generating, uh, generated the this, this snowball effect of just like raising a, a seed round of $8.6 million. And then like the pandemic started, so we were about to run of cash and we got a new investor, which was Santander Bank uh, or Moro Capital, uh, the, the fund. And that part of fundraising the Series A was the hardest round that we ever raised because we got basically 100 no's. And once we were on that like due diligence of Moro, we didn't have an option B, right? So we didn't like had other funds that we were talking on, et cetera. But it was key because like we really love Moro. Like they, they understood our vision with the financial products, et cetera. So, you know, we raised it $24 million. Six months after we raised $60 million and six months after $150 million. So I would say like it was a big, um, well, it was really dynamic times and definitely the narrative changed in terms of us. We were mostly like managing what we would raise and we were receiving term sheets, not specifically fundraising. But we saw the opportunity of raising more capital in order to accelerate growth, right? And I think, probably because of the times that uh, where we are living right now in 2023, like it was a good decision to raise uh, the the rounds needed in order to achieve probably where we want to put the company, which is like making it public at some point. You've mentioned your experience at Y Combinator. I saw you're on a podcast. You discussed what it was like being a Mexican founder in Silicon Valley. What advice would you give to other Mexican founders, other Latin American founders that want to operate in Silicon Valley as well? What are the rules of the road? What are the big yeah. differences? Tell me about that. I, I think there's a lot of differences in terms of the ecosystem because probably in Latin America, we started seeing the biggest startup like Mercado Libre, Rappi, et cetera, just a few years back, right? And not only Mercado Libre has been in the market for more than 20 years, but it was just based mostly in Argentina and right now it has a regional coverage, right? So I would say like when you got the opportunity to fly to other places such as DC or Silicon Valley, et cetera, you're seeing a lot of experience there because those are hubs of innovation, technology, business, et cetera. So I would say that most of the time in those hubs, there's more people that want to help you than what you could imagine, right? So my biggest advice is just reach out, right? Like just reaching out to, to the people that you admire, that you want to connect with, that you want to get some advice. You know, like even before now for being a unicorn, I started implementing into my routine, just emailing like famous people that I admire and possibly not famous, but just people that I admire, right? All the way from business persons, athletes, etc., with specific advice requests. And I've been surprised that of how they've been helping me. I believe right now that now for exploded, et cetera, I could have more access and, and it's easier to get that answer. But before that, it was always true. Like people, it's always willing to give you advice when you request them. Um, probably some of them not because they don't have time, et cetera. But most of the, uh, the trend that you will see, I don't know, in Silicon Valley, it's a lot of Mexican 
uh, persons and uh, people based from Latin America helped us uh, just navigate during that, that uncertainty of finding your first startup, right? As you've accomplished so much in such little time, what do you do to stay productive? Oh, well, I consider myself like a um, high-performance athlete, but only not on the body side, right? Mostly on the mind. Uh, but I think that includes a lot of taking care of your body, taking care of your relationship, and just thinking on how you can make these for the next 15 to 20 years, right? I don't think the result of this is like sleeping four hours per day and just like staying on the office until 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. You know, like I, I'm a huge believer that the only way to make Nowports a successful company uh, for 2050, which is like our first milestone to call it on that way, it's by being careful of like my routine, my habits, etc. So I'm really careful of my habits of making things that I enjoy and give me energy and only of, of being a machine of learning, right? I think like when we see AI and all the trend that we're seeing on chat GPT, et cetera, it's super amazing. So if we consider that information will be massively available for everyone, you need to stay on the edge by just like being or analyzing how you can be useful. In this case, not only for the company, but actually for the world and just like improving yourself in terms of learning and information capabilities. You mentioned 2050. What will Nowports look like in 2050? Um, I hope we are the company that really enabled growth on emerging markets and connected those emerging markets with developed economies in terms of foreign trade, right? Not only by doing the logistics, but actually um, by offering them financial capabilities, insurance, etc. I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll go into the finale question. What are you most excited about right now? I'm excited about nearshoring. I would say it's a really specific topic, but I'm really excited of the opportunity, the economic opportunity we are seeing for the region in terms of, of nearshoring. And the last thing is we are just on a stage on Nowports where there were like five years that were really not easy, but they were really exciting to navigate. And right now, like 2023 looks more like a winter for most of the of the ecosystem. But I feel like we have a team that it's just like navigating that on a good way and every day it's just like on how we can we can actually take advantage of, of the current situation. So I would say I'm excited about just getting back to work and getting solutions around that, right? Amazing. So finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question but with a uniquely Simia VC twist. What important truth about Latin America do very few... Okay, on the Latin America side. Yes. Well, I would say one truth, but they will believe it if they analyze the data. So it's not as like as, as relevant, but Latin America will be a bigger market than the US, at least on international trade, the next uh, seven to eight years, right? So that makes like a lot of like attraction, attractive things. And the last one is Silicon Valley. It's no longer what it was, but actually like, uh, now talent is mostly distributed and there are really good uh, business hubs in Latin America, such as Mexico City, Sao Paulo, etc. Not Monterey yet, but we need to take it there. <laughs> Soon with Tesla. Well, Poncho, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the SME VC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Gorman Trip. And be sure to check out our newsletter, Deal Flow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.